You're listening to Philly Who, the podcast that tells the stories of the doers, thinkers, and performers of Philadelphia. My name is Kevin Schmidlin, and today I'm talking with Thomas Dixon. Thomas was born and raised in Philadelphia and would go on to receive a bachelor's degree in psychology with a minor in neuroscience at Ursinus. One day in 2010, while he was working at CHOP towards becoming a youth psychiatrist, an unexpected accident would change his life forever. So I was out for a run in my old neighborhood when I had been hit by the car, where I've looked over the police reports, taking notes on what they had told me to fill in the gaps, because I don't remember the accident at all. Thomas would suffer a brain injury and develop episodic memory loss, meaning that he could no longer reliably remember specific details of things that happened before a given day. He originally turned to Twitter as a means to record things like what he did, who he saw, and how he felt each day, but soon enough, it was time for a bigger solution. And once I saw that Twitter wouldn't let me search just my Twitter feed, I decided to invent my own app. Thomas's app, called Memory, has essentially become an external hard drive for his mind. And you could say that his memory is now better than ours. And it happens a bunch where I'll talk with someone about a party that we were at. And I will know, as a result of my app, better than they will know who was there. All this and more about Thomas Dixon, his solution to memory loss, and how it could help everybody. Now, on Philly Who. I'm your host, Kevin Schmidlin. Stay tuned. So, I gotta admit, I wasn't too sure how this podcast interview was going to go. I thought to myself... I've built a show that invites guests to tell stories, and I'm about to interview a guy who can't remember things. As you're about to hear, it went just about as smoothly as any other interview, if not more so. Between consulting his app-stored memory and a few helpful reminders from his girlfriend, Thomas proved that he's conquered his disability, and he's ready to help others do the same. Naturally, my first question for Thomas was what, if anything, he remembered about his accident. I was visiting my parents. Um, after my mom's parents had died. So I wanted to spend some time with them. And I was a runner then, so I was out for a run in my old neighborhood when I had been hit by the car. Uh, I've been looking over, I've looked over the police reports since then, and I've talked with my parents and others, taking notes on what they had told me to fill in the gaps, because I don't remember the accident at all. Um, I also wanted to make sure that the events of the day were as accurate as possible, accurately noted uh, for the purpose of my memoir, because I'd be responsible for what's in it. So not much, to be honest with you. Right, so you don't remember it, but... Which is a good thing. I don't want to remember being hit by a car. Right, I don't think any of yeah. us would. So is it true that, you know, each day before before they discovered the nature uh, of your disability, that you would wake up and they would have to re-explain what happened, that you weren't aware? It was, I will say not for them each day, because it's pretty obvious when, you know, someone wakes up and they basically go who, what, when, where, why, and then they fall asleep and they wake up and they say who, what, when, where, why. (laughs) And it's pretty obvious pretty quickly that this person does not know what had happened, that there had been a brain injury of some type. And then they would just have a notepad next to the bed 
explaining to me what had happened. Yeah. And initially my um, memory had been such that I would wake up and truly not know. And then it got improved and improved. And then I would be waking up and know what had happened. You know, such as today, I have no concern about remembering what had happened or the events of my life overall. The details get lost, but the events of my life overall, they're known. Yeah. So can you explain a little bit more about what types of memories you don't retain and what what types of things you can remember? Sure. Um, my background's psych. So it's pretty fun to get into the weeds and talk about different types of memory. So for example, we're using microphones and what type of memory is that, that you know what a microphone is? That's a semantic memory. You know, the meaning of words, you recall them. You don't remember which day you learned the word microphone and you don't need to, but you know it and that's what matters. Uh, procedural memories, we're wearing sneakers. We remember how to tie our shoes. That's another thing. You don't remember the day, but you know that you know it. Um, episodic memory is the nature of my disability. And that's the type of memory when you see your friend walking down the street that you know what had happened the last time you saw them. You have an idea of when you last saw them. It's not the type of memory where you know the type of relationship where you have with them. You know, this is a friend I see movies with usually. So that's not been a problem for me. But the exact details of the when and what had happened, that's episodic memory. And that's pretty much the nature of my disability. Right. Yeah. So shortly after you returned to living your life after the accident, you turned to technology to help you with this disability. Is that right? Yeah, very shortly after. I mean, it was pretty much by the end. I was hit on November 22nd, 2010. And pretty much right after that, I... When I was handed a notebook to write down my memories, I <laughs> felt that was silly. And I said, no, I will record my memories digitally. And I turned to Twitter privately as I felt that that was as accurate of a way to record my memories in that I hadn't used Twitter before. I'd use other social media. And I said, well, I'll create a private Twitter account. And I can't lose that if I lose my phone, if I lose whatever. And you can download your Twitter feed and be able to search that pretty quickly. So... Pretty much immediately after, once I said, no, I'm not going to write down my memories. And when I say that was in 2010 that I switched to using Twitter by the end of 2010, after, again, I was hit November 22nd. Yeah. Right. So you would just send tweets with what? Had coffee today or? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Initially, I could tell the entries that I were making were quite sparse, you know, really had coffee today mom and I talked about blank, you know, versus now where it's prose. I'm writing uh, much longer entries, um, much more nuance about how I felt when I was with that person. You know, initially in my recovery, it was a lot more Spartan, I or so I'll say, if that's the right word for that. Yeah. So how long until you started to look for other solutions that the Twitter solution just got too bulky? Was it was it hard to find memories scrolling through tweets all the time? Well, usually I would want to know more about what had happened the last few days. So that was not an issue because you can open up your Twitter feed and you can easily see what had happened the last few days. But what would be an issue was seeing a friend I know I haven't seen for a long time and not having a clue what had happened. To right, them. what did we do last time? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was so... Part of why I'm so open with my disability 
had been, especially then, that people think you don't care about them if you don't remember what you've done with them. And that's, you know, usually true for most people. And if I make it clear to somebody that I can't remember what had happened with them, then it's not an issue. It's not like they can think I don't care about them if it's obvious that I cannot recall. And once I saw that Twitter wouldn't let me search just my Twitter feed and it wouldn't give me the types of information that I wanted, I decided to invent my own app. Yeah, so yeah. you invented Memory? Yeah, that's right, uh, Memory. Um, the website is yourdigitalmemory.com and it really suits the purposes that I and others wanting to make note of life events uh, fit for, allow for, um, that you can search your entire feed. And unlike other apps, you get statistics on your entries. So you get to see if you're increasing or decreasing across time, how much you're mentioning something. So you get graphs and such like that. You get to see what time of the day you're mentioning something. Um, the first mention, the last mention, you know, you might be curious, this friend in my life, when did I actually first mention them? When did I first meet them? And you'll get that date, you know, or it's been so long since I've seen them, hasn't it? And you'll see the last mention of them. Yeah, it gives you all sorts of information to play with. I explain to people that the spectrum of memory loss, because it is a spectrum, like societally, we don't talk about it like it is. Uh, we say those who have memory loss and those who don't. And pretty much anybody I ask, unless it was their birthday last year, you know, today, what did you do last year or today? And they have no idea. But these same people don't act like they have memory loss. That's pretty much memory loss, you know? My own is more severe in that I don't know what I did last week, but we all have severe memory loss. We all do not remember the majority of our lives. Um, and I think this is an app that is for everybody if I think memory loss is universal. Yeah, we do talk about memory as having want-based users and need-based users. So people like myself, obviously, others with memory disabilities, we would need an app like uh, memory to help us live. And then others, want-based users, may think it's interesting, may think it's cool, may get to know themselves better than they would otherwise. Yeah, so that's how we look at the um, market and that's how we are positioning memory for those two populations. Yeah, what's interesting to me about it is, so Malcolm Gladwell just released the podcast episode recently where he dives into this idea and the fact that we really can't trust our own memories, even if even if we do think we remember something that happened years ago, it's very likely that the memory is just incorrect. You know, you can probably, you probably know more about this in that, uh, you know, with the, with the psychology type education, but. Yeah, it's actually funny you mentioned that. My first area of research in psychology in undergrad had been children's courtroom testimony. And of course, we can understand that courtroom testimony can be influenced by so many factors, especially uh, with youth, as you can imagine, or actually everybody. So yeah, it happened to be funny that memory has been an interest of mine well before my injury. So so then in that in that regard, you know, given the fact I, you use your app every day, is that correct? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I use my app every day, and it also shows with me a daily average of entries, and you know, it kind of as a a bell curve where most days I'll arbitrarily give you a number, say seven entries. 
And if I'm too busy, then I probably won't make as many entries, but there'll be longer entries when I do make them. And if there's not much going on, maybe I won't note too much either. So that's why I say a bell curve. If it's not so busy, fewer entries. If it's too busy, fewer entries. But an average, say, I don't know, seven. So would you say that you, I mean, I would I would guess that you might have a better memory in that regard than, than folks who aren't using app, than, you know, because we think we remember things and it's probably wrong, but you can just go and say, nope, here it is. I have the entry right here that was given the moment it happened. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know, again, my background being in psychology, I know how fallible um, our memories can be. And it happens a bunch where I'll talk with someone about a party that we were at. And I will know, as a result of my app, better than they will know who was there and what had actually happened that night. I tell people that my memory my, is as good as I make it, basically. And we all are influenced in our memories. More, We tend to think that our life is more similar to what it is today than you know what it actually had been before. We think the, the recent life events influence our memories, and we're more likely to say, oh yeah, that friend was there, when actually they weren't, because that friend is now a bigger part of our life than they were then. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So you've had scenarios where someone said, oh, and then this happened, and you were like, actually, no, look, this is what happened. And <laughs> I, I can only imagine that they were surprised. Yeah, I mean, they were, especially if they didn't know me or yeah. my situation. <laughs> yeah. But now that most people do, um, they're not as surprised. Yeah, I tell people that I simultaneously have a better and worse memory than everybody I know, essentially. The ability to search pretty much every day since the end of 2010 what's been going on in my life, but then also to not know what I ate for dinner two days ago. Yeah, <laughs> on my own. Yeah, exactly. That's why I make a distinction between organic and inorganic right. memory. You transitioned from the baked-in hard drive to an external hard drive, I guess. <laughs> yeah, essentially. I do rely on both, yeah. you know, in that I know my friend, I know the types of things we do together and the things we don't, so I'd be surprised if something else happened. But again, I supplement that with an inorganic memory, which is something that I think we all do now. I tell people... I had, I, I think it could be a, an interesting way of saying it. I had the right injury at the right time. And that I've known people for years now who don't know that I have a disability. Just because of the type of relationship that we have, it doesn't come up in conversation, what have you. And it's an invisible disability, obviously. So that can be very interesting because I'll search my memory and talking with them and be able to share with them life events that they forgot. And they'll be like, oh yeah, right. Um, and they'll be like, yeah. wow, that guy remembers everything. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And that it's on demand for me, you know, and we're in an on demand economy now where I tell people it's a memory because if it's there for you, if it's as reliable or more reliable as we're pointing out than an organic memory, it functions the same way. You know what I mean? If you eat dinner because you cooked it or because you ordered delivery, it's still dinner. Yeah. You're still eating it. Yeah, it's what works. It serves a purpose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it sounds like you, I mean, you know, given the disability, you, you have a very normal life, which is great. Was there a moment where you said, where you considered your recovery from the accident complete? As complete as I could, you know, there, it's 
something that people in the brain injury community and others working with folks with brain injuries, is there such a thing as recovery is something that's discussed. You know, you basically learn to adapt. I think if I were to lose my leg, would I actually recover from that quote unquote? I would instead adapt. I would learn how to work with it. And as much as I've learned how to work with it, I think the moment that I felt I had adjusted, I have adapted, that I had the life I wanted to have was when I was by myself in uh, Dubai and Abu Dhabi because I spend New Year's Eve in a new country every year. Oh, yeah. That's a cool tradition. Um, and getting that, it's fun. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm trying to learn what I'm wrong about. And that can be very interesting. So when I was by myself and people trusted that I would be okay in a country I've never been to before, that's when I felt that everybody else, including myself, saw that I was going to be who I wanted to be, essentially. How long after the accident was this? Without looking at my memory, I'll say that was 2014. Okay. Yeah. I'll say it was New Year's Eve uh, going into 2014. Right. Yeah. So then what's what's the average morning like for you? Coffee. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I love uh, coffee. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I do look the night before uh, to see if there was any morning appointment that I needed to be sure I would be awake for. But in general, uh, coffee, looking over emails, um, handling what it is that I, you know, obviously can. I love uh, comedy news. Okay. So I'll watch the Daily Show yeah. or I'll watch the Late Show. And yeah, starting to go about my business, my day. You know, I've been applying for a lot of jobs right now. So that's been uh, on my mind. I actually had a rule of, because you need to be a self-starter, you know, I had a rule of uh, two before 10, where I'd apply meaningfully for two career positions before 10 a.m. every weekday. And if I did that, then okay, I can move on and do other things, you know. So do you, like, say you wake up, the alarm goes off, it's 5 a.m. No. Well, <laughs> right, exactly. So say this happens. And okay. this is just me being curious about okay. just the nature of, okay. you know, of what this is like. Okay, so. just that time is not okay, right. But, but go ahead. You know, if, if your alarm goes off at 5 a.m., do you wake up uh -huh. and have to say, what is happening? Why is this happening? Oh, my mm -hmm. gosh, I have to be at the airport at yeah. 6 or something like that. Is, is that yeah. how it works? I'll say no. Um, and pretty definitely no. Yeah. Because I have an overall flow of my life, an overall feeling of where things have been going, what is happening. You know, we've moved into a new apartment. I don't wake up here and feel surprised by that. Why stuff is in boxes currently because we just moved in, you know, or the airport example. I already known that I'm going to go on this trip. I've already packed bags depending on how early the trip is. So my overall life is not surprising me at this point. Yeah. So no. <laughs> okay yeah no to 5 a.m and <laughs> yeah. no to your question I'll yeah say. so the first thought will be damn it why did i book this flight so early <laughs> it really would have been only because it saved me hundreds of dollars or because it was the only flight available yeah so as my understanding memory has been around for a couple years now is that right in app development you have different versions of the app and is it fair to say that the app 
that was out before is the app that it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, yeah. you can think of a wide variety of apps that have changed quite a bit what they let you do over the years. So Memory in some basic form had been out a few years ago. But now that it has more features, uh, you know, it's as it is today. So yes and no is the right answer. And I think that's valid in the app development world. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So what's Many more users now uh, changing of features. And of course, you get feedback from users about what they really want. Uh, features that we want to see developed. We just need to figure out the right way to do so. A number of users have asked to share memory notes with clinicians, with caretaker providers. So what's your plan right now for memory? Our plan for memory currently is to develop more of the features that people have been asking for, um, to look into how to better serve the markets which have identified themselves in memory. And when I say that, we've seen parents recording their children's lives. Even though I call the app Memory, we see that people are recording the lives of the elderly. So people are using it for other people, not a use that I had intended, but hey, roll with it, run with it. And we can work with that around that and incorporate feedback, what people are looking for, you know? So those are, be responsive is going to be, um, a main feature of memory moving forward. I would like to continue to have outreach with healthcare institutions as they're modernizing. You know, these can be stodgy for sometimes legitimate reasons, you know, like patients' lives could be at risk and the law makes it that you have to record information in a certain way. So it cannot be a fast moving field at times, you know? If I had my choice, I would release my memoir. I would continue to do interviews such as this, um, creating more attention for memory, and then continue to win a contest like we've been doing. We won $10,000 recently at Temple University's Be Your Own Boss Bowl. Oh, awesome. So that was pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So just you're going to continue to iterate, incorporate feedback, find the use cases that need your, that need your app, and uh, just help it grow. Absolutely. And continue to be surprised by what had happened just as a result of my walking in to uh, this incubator space at Temple and saying, I have an idea for an app. So yeah, let's, let's hear that story. So you said, <clears throat> you said to yourself, I need an app for this. Twitter's not cutting it. Yeah. It's time to actually take this to the next level and build something custom. So you walk up to Temple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is, in the student center, there's an incubator space called Blackstone Launchpad. And I was curious. I saw the signs, you know, make your dream come true, other idealistic phrases, sayings on the windows and such. And I'm like, what are these guys about? So I walk in, I explain, hey, I had been hit by a car. I have this memory uh, situation. I want to make an app that serves my needs and the needs of others. And they said, okay, cool, we'll get you a developer, we'll do this, we'll do that. And it just started moving forward from there, really. I had the vision for what Memory could be, but I'm not a programmer. So we have a team now of the tech side, and I tend to be the public face of Memory, having interviews such as this. Um, 
and we hit it from those directions really yeah yeah that's very cool looking Thank forward you. to see where that goes yeah of course yeah, um, me too me too <laughs> yeah yeah i think we all are because it's yeah. just it's i you know for me just i think it's we're all going to face misfortune mm -hmm. some face misfortune far greater than others uh, and to be able to turn it in, to take it pivot it into something that helps pretty much everyone is is just really admirable well thank you i'm flattered to hear <laughs> something like that and yeah let's drink some lemonade from those lemons right exactly yeah exactly. yeah so is there has there been a time when uh your episodic memory loss has put you in a particularly tough spot one of the reasons i'm so open about it is because of how it could put me in a tough spot mm -hmm. so it's better so, for folks to be aware yeah, like as I was saying earlier, people really don't feel offended if you don't remember something about them when it's not your choice to remember something. Yeah, when you can't, you know. Um, so I had lost my state ID and one of my bank cards when my girlfriend and I were recently in South Korea. Yeah, and we had no clue where they went. And I was just glad I had my passport and another card. Yeah. This was something that I actually had to ask Lindsay before our interview because I don't recall on my own the last time uh, something like that had happened. Now, this goes back to the idea of memory loss being universal. Who has not lost something, right? I'm just more likely to lose it as a result of my situation and therefore I'm more likely to develop compensatory systems, try to leave this item in this location, email myself notes that I can see later in case of whatever, and also developing memory after all. So while you're going through and, and, you know, you go through a day, say, you know, got lunch, did the interview with Kevin, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. How do you capture- It went horrible. What, yeah, it was awful. Never talk <laughs> to that kid awful. again. <laughs> Delete, block. No, yeah. go, go. Don't subscribe to Philly. Yeah. Uh, how do you capture how you feel about what happened? How you, you know- your emotions in a given moment, how you reacted. Are you able to capture that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I like to tell people, given that I choose to a pretty big extent what I want to recall from my life, that my memory is as good as I make it. You know, I told you that in the beginning, the entries were rather bare bones, you know, and now they are much more... Uh, nuanced, much more detailed. And I can note how I'm feeling. I can note was upset that this person arrived later than they said they would, you know, again, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not you, Kevin. No, yeah. No, okay. <laughs> but yeah. And it has as much detail as I want it to. There is no limit on the number of characters. There's no limit on what I choose to share or not. It is a private entry after all. Right. Yeah. So as good as I make it. Yeah. Yeah. So that touches on something that I'm interested to ask. Very recently, um, online privacy has been a, you know, a, a very salient uh, topic in the mm -hmm. public eye. Mm -hmm. So how have folks responded to literally dumping their memories into the cloud? Okay. Yeah. That is a concern that we've seen quite a bit, one that I've had myself too, especially because this is my memory, 
you know, I have to feel secure putting that out there. Um, my background, again, I'm not the developer, but in speaking closely with my developer, he has shared with me how our system uses military grade encryption and how essentially you, when you send it out to Memory, the app, your entry, it gets scrambled and how the key, um, you'd need to be able to decode what's happening. And then when you read it from Memory, the same thing happens. So it's um, covered on both sides. Yeah. One of the things that I tell people is that the security um, issue and concern, that battle, frankly, it's already been fought for us. If you think about how comfortable people are, even with these concerns, they're still using banking apps. They're still using social media apps. We're concerned, but we're not concerned enough to stop using apps. We really want the convenience and the comfort. And it's our responsibility at Memory to see that we do an adequate job, an appropriate job, as people will want to use it. I use it probably more than anybody else, and I'm comfortable with that. Do you have a favorite memory that you do still have? Yeah, and I, like most people, we tend to remember uh, memories that have more emotion behind them. Of course, more effort that was put into the moment, more meaningful for us, either because we created the meaning in the moment or it just happened to be um, and being in Dubai, Abu Dhabi was pretty fun, um, especially because, you know, it was New Year's Eve night and I went to the world's tallest building, the Burj Khalifa, and I got all the way up to at the top is what they call it. And I basically just said to everybody, I spend New Year's Eve in a new country every year. Come on. <laughs> and like, they were like, ah, yeah, and they yeah. grabbed me. And they were like, I don't know, a dozen of us, more of us. And we made what is my favorite New Year's Eve photo together. That was sensational. I've used that in our talks that I've given related to my New Year's Eve trips. Some other memories. There's just some fun memories. I uh, cut in line for the Eiffel Tower <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, because I needed to. I, I promise I needed to. It wasn't in a way that hurt anybody. So the Eiffel Tower, the way it works, towards the end of the day, they will decide they have to cut the line off at some point because people want to get in and they can't just keep the line going, going. They have to say, okay, after this point, you guys have to come back tomorrow. I have to come back the next day. And it was my last day in France. I was not going to get another chance. So I said, I have to figure out how to do this. And I got there just as they cut the line off. So I was like, hmm. Merde. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You say. Yeah. So I decided, okay, how am I going to do this? So like any other tourist, I'm gawking, I'm looking around, pretending to gawk at the buildings, look around and such, point to this thing, to that thing. And I get close to the line and then I start sidestepping into the line slowly but surely and it works. All right. But this little kid in the line is looking up at me and he's saying whatever to the people around him in another language. I don't know what they're saying. And they're looking at the kid going like, well, you know, they're just shrugging their shoulders, whatever. Guess what I did? I'm standing in the middle of this kid's family. 
<laughs> I cut in line into the middle of this kid's family and he's looking up at me like, where did this guy doing? come from? <laughs> you know? And once I realized what I had done, I took a step behind yeah. the family and everything was okay then. <laughs> so the family was just kind of letting you stay there? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I guess he's with us. Well, it shouldn't, I don't think it bothers them because yeah. they still get to see that. We get to see the yeah. Eiffel Tower. But it was pretty funny to confuse this little kid. Yeah. And that's an example of the sorts of memories that I have. Yeah. So, that was before or after the accident? After. After the accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both of those New Year's Eve trips were after the accident. And that was particularly salient for me to go back on these New Year's Eve trips because I've been doing those before my injury. And the fact that I was alone in a foreign country, people felt like I'd be okay enough that I would do this. That's when I felt pretty independent again yeah so you were able to you told that whole story yeah from your natural memory so that's a memory that you actually have yes okay yes and this is where i will say to people that when they say to me you have memory loss um this is for people with memory loss i'm say yeah like you you know and i will have natural organic memories and i'll have inorganic memories in light of memory And I will compare it to other people, the way we're using text messages, the way we're using social media to supplement our memories nowadays. Same with email, same with everything, really. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a few questions that I ask all my guests just to get different perspectives. Okay. Um, What would you say is a common misconception about you? I actually, for memory's sake, this is one of the questions I asked my girlfriend. Um, And she told me a common misconception is that I have it all figured out. You know, I'm pretty adaptable, hopefully you see that. And I want to roll with the punches. I don't really have it all figured out, more than a lot of people anyway. And it's instead, okay, this is now happening how am I going to handle this situation? I just happen to be pretty comfortable with this punch came. How do I want to respond to it? Maybe I will respond in a novel way. In psychology, they use the term functional fixedness. And it's the idea that you may not think of a way to use an object outside of how it could be used. You know, if you have an iron, you think, okay, I can iron my clothes with it. You could use that as a paperweight. You could use that as a way of uh, keeping a door open if it's big enough. You know, there are so many uses for things outside of how they're intended. And that's kind of what I did with Twitter, using Twitter privately as my memory. And other things as well, like how I have reminders to take medication, but I only delete those reminders when the pills are in my mouth. And so without even remembering, I can tell you if I took my medication or not because the reminder would not be there if I took it. So it's really adaptability to systems that I've in many ways come up with on my own, but a lot of people would come up with if they try to, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So you, since the accident, have received a degree, correct? Yes. So how did, how did you do that? Were you able to take the exams and you know recall facts? Because our education system is very, very heavily reliant on memorization. Okay. Was that something that you were able to do? Well, I will share with you that in some ways it's fortunate that my injury was after my undergraduate years and the degree that I pursued was a master's of education. So we're talking graduate school now. 
And it's not so much memorization when you're in graduate school. It's more so papers and presentations. So you can prepare for that, you know? And that really benefited me as well. And the nature of graduate school, as I think of it, is undergrad, you're learning about a subject, you know, you're studying biology, whatever. And in graduate school, you're a step removed from that in that you're thinking about thinking. You know, you're talking about the subject matter, but you're talking about how you will approach the subject matter. So that was pretty uh, convenient as well. It, were, it played to my strengths. Yeah, and I was allowed the disability accommodation of recording my lectures, you know. And yeah, so it just happened to work out really well given that what I studied was subject matter that you don't really have exams for. And yeah, you know, before my injury, I was um, pre-med at University of Pennsylvania. I was going to be a psychiatrist for children. I would not want to be seen by me in a medical context with my disability. Because even though you take notes of all sorts when you are a physician, you're seeing someone, you can record like whatever, you don't recall the way that they looked at you at the appointment. And perhaps that would have changed your impression. It wouldn't have been ethical for me to treat patients with my disability. And so I enjoyed that I had multiple interests, you know, that I've been a teacher of ESL for many years and that I could go in that direction instead without any patient safety risk, obviously. Yeah, 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 yeah. definitely. Um, <clears throat> if you could send a message to your past self at any point before the accident, after the accident, whenever, would you? And if so, what would you say? You will be surprised, but you will still be okay. What will you be surprised by? Oh, well, uh, becoming a hood ornament was one thing I'd be surprised by. <laughs> um, I would be surprised by how well I would adapt to my circumstances, that I would not allow myself to be miserable. I mean, that was part of my personality before the injury, obviously. It let me adapt well to the injury. But just the extent to which I would allow myself to adapt and change. You know, after my injury, I'd been living independently. And after my injury, I moved back in with my family. We had to figure out what I could do, what I could not do. And I had to get back on my feet a lot of ways. I took classes at Community College of Philadelphia before applying for graduate school. And then once I got in, I was able to move to Temple area, live on my own, take those classes as such, and then resume the international travel, as I mentioned. So being derailed and then getting on different rails is what I should say. Not the same rails, obviously. I went in a different direction than I would have if I hadn't been hit by the car. That was how I was surprised, but also now moving forward still on different rails that I would be okay. Yeah. Do you still run? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I actually, I don't run as often only because I'm concerned about joint damage in that I'm going to, you know, hopefully get older and older and I don't want to be aches and pains when I'm in my 70s and Gotta 80s. those knees. Exactly, exactly. 
especially as my parents have had knee surgery, you know, and others I know have had surgeries. So yeah, it's one of those things that I will do if I really want to get out there, the weather's nice and such, but more now I will use the elliptical. Yeah. And alternate with weightlifting and such. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you think Philadelphia has played a role in your journey? Hmm. Well, I am a Philadelphia native. Uh, I grow up in the area that I call Port Fishington yes. because depending on what you want to call it, you can call it Port Richmond, Fishtown or Kensington. Yeah. You know, it just all comes together around that area. And I would say my let's love each other tattoos can share a bit about my attitude with Philadelphia. They, on my left arm, it's let's love each other with the love statue. And in my right arm, on my right arm, it's uh, Soro Soro Saranghaja, which is Korean for let's love each other. Yeah. And it has hearts instead of the circles. So I thought that was cute. Now, while that's for other people to see, it's actually a reminder for myself because I see it more than anybody else ever will, you know? So that's something I carry forward thinking about uh, Philadelphia. And other than that, that I'm going to keep seeing changes mm -hmm. in Philadelphia. Yeah. So what do you think is the biggest challenge facing Philadelphia today? I would say pretty much the same as any other city, which is equality, access to resources, um, what is or is not affordable, and relatability. How comfortable are we based on who we are, who we're not, walking around different neighborhoods of Philadelphia, you know? Can you comfortably or feeling safely walk around areas of the city and how well we all come together as a city? I think that's a pretty, a pretty big challenge and concern mirrored in multiple cities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So on the flip side, what's the most encouraging thing that you see in Philadelphia today? <laughs> I would say that there is enough personability, uh, relatability here. And depending on how you feel about it, there is definitely a huge amount of development happening, especially in my old neighborhood. It defeats this joke that I had heard about Philly previously. Um, I went to Philly last weekend. It was closed. <laughs> You know, no there more. isn't, no, not really anymore. There is that sense now of a boom time for Philadelphia. And that goes back to the um, equality and access to this boom time for Philadelphia. Is it being distributed well enough? Yeah. Yeah. For more on Thomas and his app, you can head over to podphillyhoo.com forward slash memory. That's M E. M-O-R-Y. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and give us a rating on iTunes. You can also catch us on Twitter and Instagram at PodPhillyWho. Music by Lee Rosevere. Podcast art by Lauren Carhart. A very special thanks to Thomas for being a guest on the show. For Philly Who, my name is Kevin Schmidlin. See you next week.